Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network, and we are back with our first post-game podcast of the weird, weird 2020 NFL season, the Atlanta Falcons hosting the Seattle Seahawks in week one in Atlanta, and it was a doozy. Joining me as always for the post-game podcast is my partner, Evan Birchfield. Evan, how you doing, man? Um, I'm okay, I guess considering we did get to watch football maybe not with the fashion we hoped but we did get to watch football yeah yeah it was uh yeah, for those who don't know or those who didn't watch uh the falcons did lose 38 to 25 don't let the score fool you it wasn't even that close the seahawks pulled away in the second half and the falcons started clawing back a little bit too late uh in the game uh this was a very interesting game because i think evan a lot of fans were thinking, okay, Seattle doesn't have a great defense, at least not like they used to, certainly not the pass rush that they've had in the past. Um, the Falcons, you know, have a lot of weapons. I think people were thinking this was a game that, you know, the Falcons could win. They could upset, and they they didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, some things that immediately stand out, obviously the Falcons went 0 for 4 on fourth down conversions, uh, which just seems really out of character for what they've done in the past. Um, they had the really strange fake punt, which uh, converted, and then Sherrod Neesman, who converted the punt, fumbled it, and the Seahawks <laughs> recovered. Um, it felt like a comedy of errors, and yet I, I think when we start talking about some of the individual plays, the individual players, we may actually find that there may be some good to take away from this game. So what's your overall feeling about how the game played out? There was flashes of positivity, which was what I've been choosing to kind of focus on. Because like you said, um, the score 38 to 25, it's still a little off, but like, don't let it fool you. Like we got destroyed. A lot, a lot of junk time um, stats were in there. But I guess if to look on the positive side, I liked how Gurley was used in the first half. Um which completely went out the window in the second half. And I'm sure we'll talk about that, but that was one of the things going into it. I wanted to see how they used Gurley, which I was very pleased in the first half. Um, I wanted to see obviously how Hayden Hurst kind of fills into that. Uh, Austin, what Austin Hooper used to do kind of as like Ryan's security blanket, if you want to call it. Um, And, you know, pretty much the defense. That's, that's what I wanted to see going into it. I'm not sure the defense played. Yeah. (laughs) We will get to them in the second half of the podcast. Uh, For the first half, I want to talk about the offense. They Mm -hmm. ultimately put up 25 points, but it really felt like they left a lot of points on the field. So, uh, you know, just some quick stats. Matt Ryan, 37 for 54 for 450 yards, two touchdowns, and, of course, the uh, Hail Mary interception at the end. Um, three receivers with 100 plus yards. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, obviously, uh, Todd Gurley with a decent performance on the ground. Uh, but let's, I, the one thing I want to start with is um, the offensive line because a lot of talk went into this offseason about, you know, fixing this offensive line. Uh, you know, obviously, we're, we, we all felt like Chris Lindstrom uh, with a healthy season would be a good player. Uh, he certainly looked the part today. Um, you know, the normal mainstays, Alex Mack, um, Jake Matthews played well. Uh, I think McGarry still has a lot of work to do. Um, but it was really the left guard rotation that I found interesting where they had um, 
James Carpenter rotating with Matt Hennessy throughout the game. What's your take on how the offensive line did and, and maybe uh, anything in particular about Hennessy and, and that rotation that they have with him and Carpenter? Yeah, uh, a few minutes before game time, I think it became uh, implemented that Carpenter would start because I thought that was an ex- like what we expected, but it's, they announced it prior to game time, um, even though I wanted to see Hennessy in there. So, I mean, seeing a little bit of a rotation, I guess, was nice. But, um, I mean, Jones, uh, not Jones, Ryan, I thought, was protected relatively well, aside from, if you'll notice on the McGarry side, they kept sending blitzes with uh, Jamal Adams, um, who was obviously their best player. He was disruptive all over the field. Um, and that was pretty much, it was like they didn't have a plan to stop him at all throughout the game. They, yeah. So the Seahawks continuously would send him like blitzing, especially on like a third down. I think it was a third or fourth down. He came in off the side and was just untouched. Um, yep. So from that side of things, not so well. And then earlier in the game, I remember uh, one where Adams came through and I think he actually got to Ryan and uh, it looked Jake Matthews looked like, like I was, it was one of those where you see a lineman go down and they're bent backwards and you're kind of like, Oh, that's not good. Um, yep, because Matthews. yeah, it collapsed hard to the left. Like that's how bad the right side was at times. Um so, I mean, obviously room to get better. A lot of people weren't high on Seattle's defense, as you mentioned anyways, and they played pretty good. Um, I mean, not like a whole lot of sacks and stuff, but they were definitely getting pressures. Yeah, and I, I think for those who aren't familiar with the Seattle defense, um, their pass rush is nothing to be scared of. So, you know, if you look at the Falcons' offensive line performance, keep in mind they weren't going against a great pass rushing team. Mm-hmm. Um, however... They still have KJ Wright, um, Bobby Wagner, Bobby Wagner at, at linebacker. That's a great duo, and they actually have a really good secondary. And I think that you know a lot of fans that don't aren't familiar with Seattle may not have realized that they still have you know some good safeties, some good corners, and obviously two great linebackers. So um, there's still a lot about that defense um, in Seattle that uh, makes them a good team. So uh, and obviously Russell Wilson. We'll get to that in the second half when we talk about the Falcons' defense. Um, but moving out, um, Matt Ryan, let's just point out that uh, he quietly amassed 450 yards, obviously a lot of yards in, in garbage time. But even before they really were out of the game, I think he had close to 250, 280 yards. Uh, and he passed John Elway on the all-time list. I think he is number nine He, now? he is yeah. nine, yeah. Yeah, so he's number nine on the all-time yardage list. Uh, just continues to amass numbers that, you know, puts together just a stellar career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet it it's funny. I mean, 37-54, it feels like he could have had a better game overall. Um, some of his passes may, be, may have been a little bit off. You know, the the deep ball to Julio, some people said, oh, if he, if he puts it out there a little bit more, Julio scores a touchdown. And, yeah, certainly that's the case. And uh, what was your take on Ryan's performance in this game? I felt like it was decent. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like he did have some throws that he probably could have, you know, uh, done a better job on but overall I felt like he he was not a big problem in the game yeah first off I want to just quickly go back to him making that list all-time uh, passing yards um, yes. I'm going to read the top 12 because this should put an end to any speculation is Matt Ryan a pro football hall of famer so stop me if you think this person doesn't belong in the hall of fame Drew Brees Tom Brady Peyton Manning Brett Favre Dan Marino Bill Rivers, Eli Manning, Ben Roethlisberger, uh, Matt Ryan. That's that's oh, wow. the top nine. And then if you want to continue <laughs> on, you got John Elway, Warren Moon, Fran Tarkenton, Aaron Rodgers. He's a Hall of Famer. Like, it's official. Yeah, he's literally surrounded by nothing but Hall of Famers. <laughs> exactly. If he doesn't make the Hall of Fame, it's him out of, what, 11 people that for some reason he's the one who just didn't. I, I right. Yeah. And there's some guys yeah. mixed in there um, who don't have – Super Bowl rings, such as Dan Marino, Phil Rivers. Um, does Warren Moon have a? I don't think he does. No, I don't think Frank Tarkenton either. Either. So there you yeah, go. Tarkenton did not. That's put to rest. That's over now. Yeah. Um, and, and technically, Brew Brew Drees, Drew Brees doesn't have a Super Bowl ring either, since they cheated the hell through that season. Anyhow, yeah. Um, <laughs> but back to the game. Um, yeah, I thought Ryan looked normal. I mean, there were some instances where 
Um, plays could have been made. There was a crucial, I believe it was a fourth down where he just slightly overthrew um, Calvin Ridley towards the end. It was like a big towards the end play where the Falcons were still technically in the game. Um, Little stuff like that. Um, Making a, forcing the ball a couple times to Julio. Um, Aside from that, I mean, his stats are good. The interception was literally a Hail Mary just throwing it at you know last play of the game sort of thing um it wasn't the last play but basically that's what it was just throwing right. it away with 20 seconds left or whatever and picked off so i have i'm not concerned about matt ryan at all um i think it was just more of the groove of the offense when they got once they got down they were playing they went back to their panic mode let's just throw it around and hope for the best type offense yeah and actually i, I would say if anything thinking back to last year uh, the first several games where Ryan, he did not look good. Mm-hmm. And it was clear in several of those first games in 2019, the Falcons were losing because he was not uh, living up to, you know, what you would expect from him on a normal basis. And I didn't feel like that was the case today. You know, maybe it wasn't, maybe he wasn't a hundred percent sharp and some of those throws he probably could have, you know, made a little bit better throw, but on whole, I felt like he looked a lot more confident, a lot more comfortable than he did in any of the first several games of 2019, which I think is, uh, you know, maybe encouraging for, you know, the, the potential for this team to bounce back. Right. Um, you know, cause I, I really do feel like, you know, if we look back at 2019, certainly the defense was a problem, but Ryan had a rough start to that season. So, mm-hmm. uh, I, I will say it, I feel like it's a little bit different. All right. Um, Todd Gurley yeah. and the rest of the running backs, I want to go to them next. Um, he had 14 carries for 56 yards and a touchdown. Um, it was nice to see them able to punch one in from short yardage with Gurley. Uh, he was especially effective early on, and I think his effectiveness started wearing out as the game progressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they talked about getting him 15 to 20 to 25 carries. Uh, they fell just short of that. Um, obviously, falling behind changes the the uh, tone of the game. Um, Brian Hill, uh, you know, three carries, 12 yards, Edo Smith, uh, one carry for four yards. Um, so, you know, again, we see Brian Hill, Edo come in, do a decent job with the few carries they got, but what were your impressions of Todd Gurley? I felt like, uh, he looked really good early on and then, uh, whether it was the play calling or the offensive line or just Gurley himself, his effectiveness waned as the game progressed. Yeah, and it's at halftime, I believe he was 10 for 50 in a touchdown. So he was technically averaging five yards a carry. Um, right. And then it just got, I mean, they were down, so they started trying to play catch up. And um, I, I don't know, I don't really know why they shied away from him so heavy. Uh, it did. He did start struggling a little bit, but it was more the scenarios in which they were running the ball, I believe. Um, like to where it was obvious they were running to Gurley. Uh, and then Brian Hill, I mean, they brought him in. The first time they brought him in um, was a crucial uh, third and one that ended up being a loss. And then they went for – that was when they went for that first uh, fourth down try. Right. Um, yep. It was just why are you bringing – like no offense to Brian Hill, but his first carry of the season is a third and one where it's a crucial third down. Um, I, I didn't really get that. Uh, but I mean, I have no problems with how they use the running backs overall. It's just kind of one of those games where you can't really get a feel for it. Cause Todd Gurley's the kind of rusher where you, even when I think Adrian Peterson's kind of like this too, where you have to keep going to him. You can't just shy away from him for a little bit and then bring him back in. He, he heats yep. up. So one of them kind of running backs. Um, and that's what they did. They kind of went away from him and, that's fine because of how the game script was going, where we were down and trying to play catch up. Uh, I would have liked to see him, uh, not him, uh, Brian Hill used a little bit more, I guess, if they were going to go that route anyways. But uh, three carries for 12 yards for him is not terrible. Um, and Gurley was involved, him and Hill, actually, a little bit in the passing game. But, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much it on the running backs. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, again for comparison, and this is bound to happen in the game where you fall behind. But when you've got a quarterback that's throwing the ball fifty-four times, it's going to be hard combined, to run. <laughs> yeah, and and combined, your your running backs have uh, eighteen 
carries, uh, your offense is clearly again lopsided. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't want to I don't want to pile on because uh, there are plenty of fans who are going to blame Dirk Cutter, uh, yeah. and with good reason. I feel like he made mistakes. Uh, there were some terrible play calls made during the game. I feel like there was some progress made. We saw more play action. Uh, we saw more pre-snap movement uh, out of this offense than we saw all of last year. So that was a nice development. Um, and it makes me hopeful that if Dirk Cutter can adjust a little bit, then maybe he'll adjust a little bit even more next week. And we'll start to see this offense finally start to click a little bit more. Um, but yeah, it, it in total, the running backs, I feel like it was a decent first outing, but there's still a lot more they can do. Um, all right. The receivers. Uh, <laughs> why don't you Why don't you rattle off the stats if you've got them available? Yeah, to, yeah. So this is pretty impressive. To save time, um, the three of them had twelve targets each. Exactly twelve targets each. Nine receptions each between Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Russell Gage. They all had the same exact targets and receptions, but Julio had one hundred fifty-seven yards. Uh, Calvin Ridley had 130 yards and two touchdowns and Russell Gage had 114 yards. So we, we, I mean, it's clear as day because the next uh, receiving option after the top three is Hayden Hurst with three receptions. We know who the top three guys are, at least in this game, who Ryan went to Um, pretty much what you can do is take out Austin Hooper, insert Russell Gage. And that's what this offense is. (laughs) Yeah, and if anything, like to that point, um, I was actually surprised by how much they targeted Gage. And uh, to be fair, I'm surprised at how well he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you mentioned, um, 12 targets, nine receptions for all three guys. And Gage really looked like a competent, true third wide receiver. And I think if you had him out there with a, a number one wide receiver and he was you know, number two, he was filling that role pretty well. I was mm-hmm. actually really, really impressed by his game today. Um, obviously, uh, <laughs> it's so funny. Julio puts up 157 yards, and it feels like a quiet <laughs> day for him. Uh, and Ridley, clearly, you know, 130 yards. But uh, wow. Um, and this this is part of why I, I still feel a little bit optimistic about this offense when you see Jones and Ridley engage on the field at the same time, uh, given these numbers, and again, against the Seattle secondary and linebacking core, that is actually a, a pretty good unit. Um, these are impressive numbers. Mm-hmm. Even when you factor in, you know, the garbage time uh, stats that they piled on, like even without those, the, the, these are uh, the numbers that they would have uh, put on without that was, would still have been impressive. So uh, as you mentioned, Hayden Hurst, three receptions, 38 yards. To me, that's to be expected. Yeah, uh, but he did. He did have that great diving catch. Like he, yes. he was showing his athletic ability, and this yes. won't show up on the stat sheet either. But there was a couple times where he was clearly pass interference. Mm-hmm. Um, where yep. I know Jamal Adams in the end zone hit him early, way uh, early. And yep. it, it, to be fair, it was second. So when you're watching it live, um, easy for a ref to miss. And I'm not going to defend the refs ever, but it, it's easy to miss in that situation because it's literally like a snap of the fingers early. Um, but earlier in the game, he did get hit early on a, I believe it was a third down or something. And, you know, he was calling for it. They didn't oblige. And uh, yeah, so he had, he had a much quieter day than I predicted only three receptions and 38 yards. Yeah. And, uh, and to that point about those DPIs, the, the NFL did eliminate the ability to challenge for yeah. pass interference this year, uh, which I feel like was uh, unfortunate. I, I, you know, they, they had some weird calls last year that should have gotten overturned. It didn't and vice versa. And maybe they felt like it was too inconsistent a rule to be applied effectively. But uh, in this game, it certainly would have been those two calls that didn't happen. Certainly I think would have been challenged um, for, for Hayden. And, and to, to your point, I think he, you know, potentially would have one or two more, uh, impacts on the game where uh otherwise his stats look you know somewhat um unimpressive five targets three receptions uh but again you know you're replacing a tight end that ryan had gotten used to for four years uh so i think it's going to take a little more than one game Mm -hmm. for him to start frequently targeting this guy 
Uh, and so it makes sense to me that he's looking at Jones. He's looking at Ridley. He's looking at Gage, who's, you know, he's had here for two years. So mm-hmm. um, I think some of this will rectify itself as the season plays out and as teams adjust. Cause I've got to think that now that Gage has sort of, you know, sort of had this breakout game amazingly, you know, the, the, again, these nine receptions, 114 yards, I think a lot of teams are going to look at him and be like, okay, we, we've got to account for him better than we did, uh, than Seattle did. And they're going to keep a, a closer eye on him. So when you see, you know, four receivers, three receivers and a tight end, uh, I, I do think between Gage and Hurst, those guys are going to see a lot of favorable matchups. And Ryan will begin to find Hurst a little bit more frequently mm-hmm. as the season progresses. And just to make anybody who feels like, oh, wow, that's terrible for Hurst, just to make you feel better, even though this is a lazy comparison, um, Hooper had two catches for 15 yards for the Browns today. So, Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's not exactly. like he went out and lit, lit up. Uh, I think they were playing Baltimore. So. Yeah. Fair point. And I, I think that's, you know, anytime you have guys that change teams, um, mm-hmm. with exceptions, it usually takes a little more than one game. And especially, especially in a season where there were no preseason games, there wasn't a third preseason game for the starters to sort of do their yeah. dress rehearsal. In many ways, this game was the, you know, the dress rehearsal yeah. for many teams. And our receivers um, are ready. And Matt Ryan is too. Yeah. And that's actually, that's a great point. Uh, Evan, I feel like, you know, if there's going to be a lot of frustrated fans, rightfully so, with the outcome of this game, uh, fans are already calling for Dan Quinn to be fired. It's not going to happen this quick. Sorry, folks. Um, but I do feel like, you know, at least on the offensive side, uh, you take away a couple mistakes, a couple of drops, and this the complexion of this game looks very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you mentioned, it looks like Ryan and the receivers are already in midseason form to some extent. We just need some of the other guys to sort of get caught up. And I, I'm going to put this out there. Some of you are going to get annoyed at this. But game one of any NFL season, even when you have a preseason, game one – rarely predicts how the rest of the season is going to go. Didn't did 2016, didn't we lose to the Bucks to start it? We started with a loss at home to the Bucks. Okay. I was about to bring that up. Okay, so, sorry. Uh, you, and I, <laughs> you and I were on the same page, buddy. Um, so, yes, and that was actually a very sloppy game from the Falcons. Yeah. Uh, they ended up going on the road and beating, I think, the Raiders the very next week. Um, so, yes, to your point, um, you know, that, that first game certainly didn't predict how the 2016 mm-hmm. season played out. This one almost certainly will not predict how this one will play out. I am not guaranteeing guaranteeing a Falcons. <laughs> it sounds like you season. are. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am not going that route. Um, but I will say that uh, don't put too much stock into this. Think of this as a combination of uh, the preseason, the game one, because that's really and truly what this is for these players, for the coaches. And you know, if you're going to tell me you don't have faith in these coaches, I'm not going to argue with you. Right. Um, but I think where the players are concerned, I think there are some things to take away that are positive. So um, with that, I want to talk about this defense because it was like this incredibly mixed bag. And uh, I, I feel like there are th- some things to celebrate and some things to scream about. Um, but before we get to the Falcons defense and <laughs> they gave up 38 points, <laughs> let's not get too excited. So before we talk about the Falcons defense, uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to cars.com. It's magical. And we're back on the Falcoholic postgame podcast for the 2020 season. Week one, the Seattle Seahawks at the Atlanta Falcons, the 38-25 win by the Seahawks over uh, Matt Ryan and the rest of the team. Uh, Evan, let's talk about the defense. Um, and I want to start. I want to start in the secondary, actually. That side because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, here I, we go. I want to I want to finish the podcast strong, so yeah. we're, we're gonna we're gonna save the best for last because there I think there were some things to be positive about. 
Um, but let's start with the secondary because I feel like there are a lot of concerns there. And, you know, I mean, let's start with Russell Wilson's stats because this is sort of the story, right? 31 for 35. He had four <laughs> incompletions. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, 322 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. Um, I love Russell Wilson. He's a fantastic quarterback, but guys, he is not that good. The, the, the Falcons defense certainly helped him uh, look like a god on the field today. Um, but, you know, their receivers, DK Metcalf, four receptions for 95 yards in the touchdown. Tyler Lockett, eight for 92. Um, Chris Carson, their running back as a receiver, six for 45. Uh, and then some other guys with, you know, some other yards. But uh, the secondary, obviously, you know, they didn't have Kendall Sheffield for this game. Uh, Isaiah Oliver, Darquez Denard, um, A.J. Terrell, the first-round rookie. Uh, let's start with the corners. What was your take on the cornerback play in this game? Um, I thought it was definitely benefiting off of the pass rush early on. Uh, you didn't see a whole lot of AJ Terrell, which honestly, I thought that's a good sign if you're not hearing about a corner during the game. Um, Oliver looked pretty good until he got burnt uh, by uh, right. <laughs> uh, Metcalf like on a long pass, and it, it wasn't even close. Um, and Denard looked okay, but at times was struggling. Um, but honestly, it's it was expected to be a little tough for defensive players on opening week with no preseason warm-up or anything like yeah. that. Um, so it wasn't anything I was terribly concerned about and no Sheffield in this game either. Um, so who knows like what kind of role he's actually going to play once he's healthy. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't want to like attack the secondary and ignore everything else. Like they did still allow, you know, in part 38 points. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they weren't tremendous um, if that's what the answer you were wanting oh yeah no i mean i, I think uh mixed bag right yeah uh, you know some as, good you some bad some good some bad and, and and to be fair to isaiah oliver it feels like it's boomer bust like you said there were times where he made some great plays mm-hmm. uh and then he makes such a bad play that results in a massive touchdown and you're like okay um I have no idea what to make of this. Part. I mean, he looked he, like he was running in quicksand trying to chase Metcalf. Right. Like, I don't know what was going on. <laughs> and, and Metcalf is a physical freak. So, you know, that's going to be the case with a lot of guys. But, and certainly I think you could point to the defensive coordinators and say, why weren't you giving them help over the top mm-hmm. um, for some of these faster uh, receivers? But, you know, where the corners are concerned, um, as you mentioned, I think AJ Terrell was, there was a good portion of the game where I was like, I haven't heard anything about him. Now, as we got into the second half, we started to hear his name come up a little bit. Um, and, and But he's a rookie. You know, he's a rookie. Regardless of his draft status, mm-hmm. uh, corner in their first year is such a difficult transition, especially when you don't have a normal offseason. Yep. Um, so I'm going into the season with very low expectations for Terrell, not because I don't think he's capable but simply because rookies that start at corner, it, it's it's you know it, it's a very uh, big uphill battle they have to go through. Um, Oliver, I felt like he was it was a mixed bag, and Denard, you know, he had some good plays and he gave up some. And ultimately, it, it's hard to distinguish what is actually the fault of the corners and what is the fault of the safeties. I will say there was a stat that came up, and I believe Falcoholic Matt. Um, retweeted this where um, the the receivers for the Seahawks were getting more than the yard of separation for almost all of their catches, which is concerning. Um, that said, game one, rinse your mouth out with scope. Uh, <laughs> you know, spit this one out and we'll see what game two looks like uh, because that is really where you begin to see a little bit more of how the coaches adjust, how the players adjust. And honestly, we probably won't know really the complexion of this team for a few games. Uh, we could see some erratic differences between these games. So, again, don't put too much stock in this game, especially where our young guys are concerned, uh, especially a guy like A.J. Terrell. But, uh, yeah, not not exactly an inspiring performance for game one. Um, Definitely. Obviously, uh, KZ, uh, Neil, 
Ricardo Allen, who got called for a DPI early in the game that set up the, the first touchdown for Seattle. Uh, the safety play, to me, felt like it was not great. And in some ways, you know, I have more issues with how the safety was, were playing because these are, you know, three guys that do have more experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Ricardo has been, you know, the free safety for the Falcons for several years. Um, obviously, Neil's coming back from injury, so maybe give him a slight pass. But in uh, and, and, you know, KZ is a guy that I, I think um, – you know, he's seeing the field a lot simply due to the lack of depth at linebacker. Um, but he, you know, it, it felt like the safety play allowed for some of these big, big receptions, like the, the cat, you know, the deck, um, DK Metcalf uh, touchdown mm-hmm. and uh, some of the others. So what was your take on the safeties? It, it, at least to me, I feel like if the Falcons are going to succeed against a Russell Wilson with, you know, DK Metcalf and Tyra Lockett, they have to have their safeties in the right position. Didn't feel like they were there at the right times. No, and, and definitely on that Oliver play, um, we'd have to look at like the all 22 to get, uh, you know, clear insight on what actually happened on that play. Cause on TV, they didn't break it down. And obviously when you're watching it on TV, there's, you're probably seeing what 30% of what's going on. So exactly. we'll have, we'll have to really get a good view of that. Cause they didn't show it on like replay or anything. They just showed where Oliver was, you know, a good four yards behind uh, Metcalf. So we'll have to see that. But in that kind of situation, you would like to see some sort of safety help because I mean, no offense to Tyler Lockett, but Metcalf is really who you're going to be afraid of. And he just kind of, you know, outran Oliver. That's pretty much what it was. And that's where you want to see some safety help. Um, but to make like clear judgment, we'll have to look at that. Yeah. And that's, uh, it, to your point, I feel like it, it's hard to fully and properly examine the game yeah. immediately after the game. You don't want to say, oh, you know, everybody on Twitter is saying it and I, I was thinking it, but you don't want to just say, oh, Oliver was burnt. Um, he, it could have been one of those situations where he thought he had safety help. Yep. And then yep. realized it too late and had to take off running. And you're not, I mean, it's not like Metcalf's the fastest human ever, but it's still going to be hard to catch an NFL receiver if you've checked up and then started chasing them again, no matter who it is. So, yeah. And that's, that's a great point. And uh, so it, this is one of the reasons I am a big believer in pro football focus and advanced analytics is they actually look at those things and try to put that in perspective as opposed to sort of the immediate aftermath of the game. Um, So uh, I think we can say collectively the secondary did not play good. We'll just leave it at that. Um, (laughs) We'll see how the individual grades fall out, uh, you know, later in the week. Um, and certainly you'll see our uh, our takes on that at thefalcoholic.com. Um, but I want to talk about the linebackers um, mm-hmm. because honestly, and this was one of, you know, we, we did an article series at the Falcoholic uh, or a single article rather, where we talked <laughs> about um, the, the position group that we felt was the weakest on the Falcons. I actually, my pick was linebacker. And it was simply because Dion Jones is a stud and he showed that again today. He had some amazing plays. And but after him, I feel like the quality drops precipitously. Yeah. I like Foyer Lucon and he is a player that for his draft round, sixth round pick, I feel like he is playing above where he was, you know, his where we should expect him to play. Um that said, that doesn't necessarily mean Foyer is a great player. I feel like he's a at best a decent player right now. And then after him, we're, we're relying on the rookie and Michael Walker and guys who are basically on the teams on the team for special teams. Um, and I feel like today our linebacker situation, you know, Greg Olson has some catches. I think he had the touchdown. Um, our, our linebacker situation actually concerns me more than the secondary. What, what are your thoughts on Deion Jones and, and the rest of the guys? Yeah. I mean, you're definitely right. Um, in what you were saying about the linebacker depth. Uh, Jones was really the only one who stood out because he was making plays in the backfield. Um, I believe it was uh, Homer who was getting strung out on a third down, and he Jones basically just blew by an offensive lineman and tackled him in the backfield and 
forced a punt. Um, but outside of him, Aluakon, you know, he's he's not he's not awful, but he's just kind of I don't know. I don't want to say average, but he kind of is like at this point. I mean, he's got room to grow because he's still early, but there's not a whole lot besides Jones to get excited about. Walker, obviously a rookie. Um, hope, hopefully he takes a jump because the linebacker, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you at all. What you're saying about the linebackers, like there's not a whole lot of depth there. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah. I mean, Reynolds, yeah. he's there primarily for special teams. If we're being honest. Yeah. If we have to rely on, uh, Leroy Reynolds, something has gone horribly, horribly yeah. wrong with the season. Um, and it's, it makes me sad. You know, Devondre Campbell, was an okay linebacker. I feel like he didn't live up to some of the hype that fans put on him. Uh, unjustly so. Again, the guy was a fourth-round pick. But if you were going to ask me what the Falcons should potentially target in the early rounds of 2021, my first answer is going to be linebacker. I, th- I feel like they need someone back there with Deion Jones who has got the athleticism, who's got the ability to both cover and tackle um, or else it's going to be a persistent weakness in this defense. Um, and, you know, it, it's – I love Debo. He can't do it alone. He just simply yeah. can't do it alone. Yeah. You know, he can't cover two, three linebackers. The, the guy is is a fantastic player. I would argue he's a top five middle linebacker in the league. Uh, he was the best coverage linebacker, according to PFF, in 2019. Um, and in prior seasons – uh, but we we simply need more than just one guy at that position. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, you look at the Seahawks as a perfect example. Bobby Wagner, all pro and everything, but he still has yeah. KJ Wright, who has been kind of underrated for years. Yeah, you don't yeah. need three, but you have to have at least two good ones. And, and yes. I'm I'm not saying Foy ain't good, but he's still young. He's still growing into what you know. Who knows what he can be? Um, and then hopefully Walker takes that next step. But he's, you know, a rookie, a rookie. so you can't really yeah. expect these things because rookies don't always just play up to potential right away. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. We're going to finish this podcast on the positive note because I feel like of all of the units on the defense, the defensive line actually was the most surprising, mm-hmm. at least for most of the game. They have moments where they disappear, but I feel like that's – the case with every defensive line in the league. Um, but it, particular to me, I feel like the three players that stood out the most, number one, and by a long shot, was Tack McKinnon. Yep. Agreed. Who looked like a different player on the field today. Um, number two, Grady Jarrett, who quite frankly is just – he. I said this on Twitter. I'm going to reiterate this on the podcast – I will be shocked if he does not end up an all pro this mm-hmm. season. The man is a freaking beast at this point. He is one of the best interior pass rushers in the league, bar none. Um, and number three, it, it, thankfully, is the guy that we signed a free agency, Dante Fowler, who I feel like showed that not only is he a good pass rusher, he's actually a good run defender. He had several good plays across the board. Um, so are you also feeling and I want to I want to be very careful about this. Somewhat optimistic about the defensive line after what you saw today. Yeah, um, for those that didn't watch the game, uh, go on Twitter or whatever YouTube and look it up. In the the play where Tack McKinley completely bulldozed, uh, I believe it was Brandon oh, Snell, yeah. the right tackle for the Seahawks. <laughs> um, it it was great. It was great to see because. He was actually using, you know, he's got this power where in the past it was like he didn't know what to do with it. He completely knocked this man down and would have gotten a sack, but Russell Wilson, like, got rid of it right away. Um, right. That, that's what Russell Wilson's really good at, if we're being honest. Um, but I was excited. Tech was flying around the backfield. Uh, Fowler got yeah. in there a couple times. I, one of them, uh, it was like a half sack, I believe. It was the half sack that he got with Grady Jarrett. Um, yeah. And Grady Jarrett, to be honest, he's kind of entered this realm of like Julio Jones where, you know, Julio (laughs) Jones goes nine for 157 and it's like, I don't care. Like that's what Julio Jones (laughs) should be doing because he's freaking Julio Jones. Grady Jarrett gets one and a half sacks and it's like, yeah, 
That's what I, right. I mean, like, I'm not going to, I mean, he deserves the credit. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, he's that good. Oh, yeah. I don't want this to be yep. sound like I hate Grady Jarrett. Like, he's that good that that doesn't surprise me. Like, I'm, yep. you know, but exactly. Tack McKinley, exactly. what Tack McKinley's play was today did surprise me. And it, it wasn't as good as Grady Jarrett's on terms of impact. But it was like, okay, maybe what what Tack's been saying this offseason about, you know, playing with a chip on his shoulder, about not getting that fifth-year option, maybe it's legit because he definitely took a step. Um, I'm excited to see him. Brandon Snell isn't the best, in fairness, the best um, right tackle in the NFL. But um, I'm excited to see, you know, what's going on with Tack because he he did look really good Um, late in the game. There were times where he was lined up on the far left side, then he was standing up on the right side. Um, so, like, I'm kind of interested how they're using him because he didn't. They didn't seem to just have him with his hand in the dirt, far left side, ready to pass rush. Um, at times, he was like on the far right, standing up. So, that'll be interesting yeah. to see going forward how he's being used. But he clearly was our best uh, non Grady Jarrett um, defensive <laughs> lineman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh yeah so let me just say i completely agree with you grady jarrett it was like oh one and a half sacks yeah well, I, I sort of expected yeah i mean that. if grady jarrett's <laughs> name all of a sudden was bob bob jones it'd be like oh damn one and a half right, sacks exactly. that's pretty good but like grady jarrett but nah it's, it's fine that's good good for him yeah it, it's <laughs> exactly and, and uh so when i hear grady jarrett's name come up with a sack i'm like of course grady jarrett got a sack yeah um, <laughs> But to your point, uh, it, to me, Tack was the standout player, mm-hmm. um, and it was it, you know he got one sack on the day, but he was constantly in the backfield, and his speed, his speed just looked to be top notch, like midseason form. He was he was chasing down everybody, uh, and I think if there's one thing you can say positive about Tack over the past several years. The guy's motor has never been in question. He is a guy that every play you feel like he is he is angry at somebody. He wants to take it out on the quarterback. Um, it, it's just been his ability to convert that into mm-hmm. actual statistics that has been the problem. And today he got his first sack. I hope he keeps this up. He had five pressures in the first half, which is, yeah. for those of you that don't keep up with it, that's sort of ridiculous. Like he was in Russell Wilson's face the entire afternoon. Um, and then, you know, to, to his credit, Dante Fowler, I also felt like had a phenomenal afternoon in the fact that not only was he generating, you know, pressure, he got the half of the sack that he combined with Grady on. He was actually really good in run defense, too. And this was a big criticism of Vic Beasley um, coming out of college and then even into the NFL was that, yeah, you could put him out there, but he feels more like a situational pass rusher because the guy is just not good against the run. Fowler had several plays where he was chasing down linebackers or I'm sorry, running backs. Mm -hmm. And I think he had one where he, he basically put the Seahawks in in second and 13 single-handedly by chasing down the linebackers. So really encouraged by what I saw from the defensive line. Um, You know, we'll wait to see what happens with guys like John Kaminsky, um, you know, some of the guys further down the roster, but the top three, in my opinion, Tack McKinley, uh, Grady Jarrett, Dante Fowler so far I feel like the the returns are good even if you know ultimately the defense gave up 38 points uh, I, I feel like those three guys did what they were supposed to do and I want to see how they progress as the season goes on yeah definitely and just to keep people from you know grabbing pitchforks and stuff um game script is everything the defense in the first half yep. did look you know not the defense, the pass rush did look good and then kind of disappeared Um, because all of a sudden you're not playing competitively. You're playing to not get completely blown out. And it changes things to where tack looked really good in the first half. And then it's like the second half. I don't really remember anything from it, but that could go for a lot of people because that's what happens when you're, you know, you've, you're given up 38 points. You're going to play a little differently. Yeah, exactly. And that's uh, a great point. And I feel like, you know, it, it's not every game, not every snap is all about you getting a pass rush. It's not all about your opportunities to get to the quarterback. When when a team has a multi-score lead, 
a lot of times your opportunities to get sacks, to get pressures drop dramatically because a team like the Seahawks, they're they're going to shift towards protecting their lead. Yeah. They're going to run the, the ball, ball more. Yeah. Yeah. Get a pass rush pass on a run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, for those who are like, oh, well, they disappeared in the second half. Well, they probably disappeared in part because it was situational. Mm-hmm. That said, I do want to just put this caveat on it. The, the Seahawks have not had a great offensive line. They had a couple of guys on the interior, especially that I think were huge question marks. If you read our series at the um, I detailed the Falcons offense um, or the Falcons defense versus the Seahawks um, uh, offense and pinpointed the fact that Grady Jarrett could have a big day, which he did have. Um, so, you know, it, it remains to be seen when they go up against better offensive lines, will they continue to have this level of success? I certainly hope so. Obviously, three sacks in the first game, if you project that out, that's 48 sacks per season. That would be a fantastic number for the Falcons to, to arrive at. Um, but we have to temper our expectations. In my mind, great first performance for those three guys, but they need to build on this. It can't just end here. It needs to go from here. It needs to be that Tack continues to be this guy that shows uh, not only you know that that nonstop motor, but shows the speed and uh, you know the ability to close out the plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dante Fowler can't just be a guy that shows up for one game and then disappears for three like Tack or like Vic did. Uh, and, and Grady Jarrett, obviously, well, Grady Jarrett's Grady. He's going to do the same thing. So, Evan, any final thoughts? Uh, before we close out this podcast, I know, uh, you know, it, we have to talk about the fact that young way Koo, uh, had yet another, <laughs> oh, onside like, kick. Yeah. Onside kick. I mean, my God, the man is, he is an onside kick God at this point, but anything else to add, uh, to this podcast before let's let our listeners get back to the week. Yeah. Two things. Um, the coup thing, just to touch on it, it's like, he's perfect at, he missed like an extra point earlier on and then it's like, Oh, he does the onside kick and it's like forgotten. Cause I mean, it's such like a, a I mean the dude, he's got a, what is he like five for five now? Technically I know last yeah. year, a couple of them were technically successful, but the refs said they weren't, but he's like five for five or five for six or something. Like it's actually amazing. Um, and Foy actually was the one that got the, I believe, got the uh, onside kick during the game. Secondly, you know, we're all angry, but just calm down. It, it was a good team. Seattle Seahawks, a lot of analysts have them going to the Super Bowl. It yeah. wasn't like we yeah. lo- we got beat by the Browns or something. Then I'd be, you know, what I'd be panicking too. Um, but, you know, like we've said, open and weak. 2016 we lost to the Bucks and we still went to the Super Bowl. So anything can happen, but it's not it's not the end. Um at least next week we have a uh, cupcake opponent. Um who, who do we play next week, DW? I think we play the Cowboys actually. <laughs> oh, um no, I was just kidding. I knew that. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get another test next week, so but you know, that's another team people are predicting to go to the Super Bowl. And if you want yeah. to go to the Super Bowl, you have to beat good teams. So I don't know what more can be said. Like if they don't want to beat the Seahawks or the Cowboys and then they want to whoop up on the Panthers or something later in the season, you know, that's, that's up to them, but that's not a good way to win. So we'll see what happens next week, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. And guys, again, I realize 38, 25, 13 point loss, which honestly was, a bigger loss than that. We all know that um, it's easy to get caught up in the emotions of the first game. And certainly with this coaching staff that is carried over from 2019, uh, you have every right not to have faith in Dan Quinn, Dirk Cutter and the rest. That said, uh, I do think there are some positives to take away from this game. And it, it, as I've said before, the first game of the NFL season is rarely ever a predictor of how the rest of the season is going to go. Um, so if you're wondering why you should continue to watch the Falcons for the rest of the <laughs> 2020 season, um, stay with us. I, I do think that this team has a lot to offer 
look at the wide receiver uh, rotation and, and what they did today. Look at what Todd Gurley did early in the first half. Look at what the offensive line was able to do. And I think you can find some reasons to, to, to build some optimism, even if ultimately know, we know that the Atlanta Falcons are going to crush your hearts. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, can I add uh, one more Evan, thing just to leave yeah, to close do it, on? Man. I mentioned it on Twitter, and I think it's important to remember this. Um, we all wanted Falcons football for months. We all craved it. Well, now you got it. Enjoy your week, folks. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Boy, if that, if that phrase didn't ring more true than today, I don't know when it could. Um, Evan, remind our listeners where they can find you yeah. and what you've got going on. Uh, you can find me at at the Falcoholic Writing and obviously on Twitter at Evan Birchfield. Um, I will have a stats thing during the week, I believe, on Tuesday, just kind of recapping where players rank around the league, touching on Matt Ryan now being ninth all time in passing yardage. Um, kind of you know basic stats like that, just to kind of recap where everybody's at. Um, and also on Fridays, I have my uh, fantasy outlook. Um, where I talk about the Falcons um, going into the weekend and also some league-wide options you can look at. And also, you know, if you send me questions on Twitter at, um, at uh, FalcoholicEvan at Yahoo um, or just DM me on Twitter, whatever's easier for you, uh, I'll, you know, include them in that um, as like a mailbag or whatever. So yeah, just enjoy your week, folks. Football's back. It's hard to be, even with a loss like this, I find myself kind of comfortable because I'm just excited to see some football. Amen. Absolutely. I uh, couldn't agree with you more. Evan, it's good to be back with you on yeah. the Chris Game Podcast. Long season. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for so many reasons. Um, as for me, guys, you can find me on Twitter at AlcoholicDW. You can find our podcast at AlcoholicPod. And of course, our articles daily, daily updates at TheFalcoholic.com. So for Evan Birchfield, this is David Walker. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk with you next week. <laughs>